You're listening to Season 5, Episode Number 6 of Strike the Match. The first Sunday in November marks the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. And on this special episode of Strike the Match, my guest is Dr. Gregory Cochran. We talk about persecution in the Bible and around the world today. So with that in mind, let's... Welcome to Strike the Match with teacher and missiologist Dr. J.B. Strike the Match is a podcast that addresses matters related to missions, innovation, and leadership. Now here's J.D. In 2 Timothy, we get that verse of Scripture that uh, oftentimes many of us in the, uh, the States especially just kind of read it and just move on. And it's that verse that Paul writes to Timothy in uh, chapter 3, verse 12, where he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Uh, not probably persecuted, but uh, will be persecuted. Uh, today on Strike the Match, we are going to be talking about that topic, about the, the issue of, of, of what it's like when Christians are living in persecution. And uh, my guest today on the program is uh, Dr. Greg Cochran. He is the professor of theology at uh, California Baptist University, where he also serves as the director of applied the- of the- their applied theology program, and he has written a book. It came out. It's not a recent. Or it didn't just come out. It's been out uh, for uh, for at least uh, three years. Uh, but it's it's a one book among very few on the topic of looking at what the Bible has to say related to uh, to persecution. The title of his book is Christians in the Crosshairs, Persecution in the Bible and Around the World Today. Uh, I think uh, Dr. Cochran is, is one of the, the leading experts on this particular topic, and I'm so glad that he can be uh, here with us today. He's pastored uh, churches, he has served in academic roles, and uh, he is uh, he's, a, he's a brother and a, and a friend that I have been able to get to know over the past two or three years. And it's a blessing and it's a delight to be able to have uh, Greg on the program. And so, brother, I want to just say to you, welcome to Strike the Match. Great. Thanks so much, J.D. It's good to hear from you again. Good to talk to you. We haven't talked since Atlanta, I guess. (laughs) That's right. It was uh, just a few months ago, I think, when we were over here on my side of the country. I was. Hey, how are are things uh, with you? Because everything I'm hearing in the media is related to the fires across your state. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, unfortunately, I mean, it's beautiful weather, except for those Santa Ana winds, and they are blowing fires uh, everywhere. But by God's grace, um, so far, we are okay where I live, and um, hopefully there won't be too much damage to homes and certainly none to people's lives. Mm, yeah, I mean, I, I, it's it's tragic to see the, the the stories that are coming through on the news, and have been praying for for the people there in in California and and for for relief. But I'm thankful to hear that uh, that you and your family are doing well. Yes, yes, thank you. So, so Greg, I I've gotten to know you a little bit over the past uh, couple of years, and just your ministry, and and I came in contact uh, with you actually through this book. That's how I was first introduced to, uh-huh. to you and who you are, and I want to get. Uh, to, to talking about your book in just a few moments, but but I know that uh, some of our listeners uh, are probably wondering, okay, so who's Dr. Cochran, and uh, and and why is he on the program today? And so, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, sure. Uh, I am, you know, not much to talk about except that. Well, okay, I, let's move on then. So, <laughs> yeah, let's do it. Let's go just to the kidding. Tech. 
Um, Christ has redeemed me, and so I am in the family of God, and Amen. I think that makes us brothers, as you said. I'm uh, married. Uh, my wife and I have been married 30-plus years. We have seven children and almost three grandchildren now, which who also live close to you. So I'm a little bit jealous that you get to live near my grandchildren. Uh, I pastor a church. And in addition to my academic role and my administrative work here, I also pastor uh, a revitalizing work in Riverside. Fantastic. And you're with California Baptist University? Correct, in Riverside, California. And so how long have you been with, uh, with Cal Baptist? Seven years, or I'm in my seventh year now. And uh, your your doctoral uh, studies, uh, they were in, in Christian ethics. You did that at, at Southern Seminary, right. and then you did a you did an MDiv in theology at Southern, and then a right. couple of other masters at Louisiana Tech. Yes, yeah. So I did the secular route, and then the seminary theology route, and the uh, it was the ethics study that actually got me. I mean, I was in pastoral work while I was doing the academic work, and I kept noticing in my study, in my preaching, in my study of ethics, that there's this ought question out there. And the New Testament seems to say, you know, you ought to be facing some persecution (laughs) if you're a follower of Christ. So that's really what got me digging a little further into the text, into the New Testament particularly, to try to understand this subject of persecution. Well, let's talk about that on on a global scale at this point in time. Um, what what can what can you tell us about persecution throughout the world? I mean, is do you do you sense that it's increasing? Uh, you know, maybe even talk about some of the locations. What what's what's your overall read of what's going on right now in 2019? Yeah, well, you call me an expert. I hesitate to use that term, but I do pay attention to these things, you know, and try to try to notice. And I think you're you're really onto something there in terms of globally. We, we tend to see things breaking down globally into a lot of nationalism. So, for instance, you know, in America, we've, we're really bifurcating into these, these two party lines about just the definition, you know, is it a nationalistic sort of America or is it, um, you know, a, a justice kind of in, uh, culture and environment? We see it in in um, in Great Britain and in Europe with uh, with Brexit, and you see it in India. You see it in uh, just several places around the world. You see a huge emphasis on nationalism now, and people are are trying to take control of their countries and isolate their countries a little more than it used to be. So, in some ways, there's this disintegration of all the, the institutions that brought countries together in the 20th century. So in that way, um, what happens is anyone who doesn't fit the political mold um, is going to face some, 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 some degree of bias, discrimination, or possibly even persecution. And this would be true whether they're Christian or non-Christian, but of course, as as Christians, we pay attention uniquely to where the Christians are being targeted, and that's happening probably in you know eighty countries around the world, thirty nine at a very severe level. 
Mm. So, so can you give us maybe the names of some of the countries that that tend to be more of the the hot spots when it comes to Christians living in persecution? Oh yeah. So, uh, Open Doors publishes their watch list every year, and um, so you could you could follow it there. But you know, you'll get the the, the same characters are, are typically in the top ten. North Korea is at the top. Um, the U.S. Commission on International Religious Freedom published a paper not long ago on North Korea, and they, they call it a prison. The whole country is called a prison without bars. And the idea there is that everybody literally is in a kind of prison um, in oppression, but it gets uniquely magnified among the Christian body there because it's just strictly forbidden. If you have a Bible or if you're caught in a prayer group, if you're caught attending a worship service, you'll likely just disappear and people won't hear from you again. Um, we know this from refugees who have come out. And so that U.S., uh, United States International Commission on Religious Freedom, that report documents a ton of research that's done with North Korea through these refugees. So that would be a really high level Um Similar to that, but in a different way, would be Nigeria, particularly in the north of Nigeria. You have uh, really a, a coalescing of factions. You have uh, Islamic extremism, Boko Haram, uh, trying to rid all Western influence from Nigeria. And then you have this group called the Fulani Herdsmen, who I don't know the particulars about how they, this is operating, but it seems as though they're probably connected some way to Boko Haram and getting some kind of reward for uh, just going in and literally raising Christian villages. So if you're a Christian in Nigeria, especially northern Nigeria, um, you'll see daughters kidnapped from schools. You'll see schools raided and the Christians called out by name and executed. Um, you'll you'll see outright uh, Islamic extremist attacks by Boko Haram and others. So it's a very violent place. Since 2011, on average, there has been a Christian martyred in Nigeria every day. And so, you know, you have, you have um, like Anne Bawalda, a, a Catholic group, the Jubilee Project, states that probably 60% of all the martyrs in the world come from Nigeria year after year. So in terribly intense violence against Christians in Nigeria. And then, you know, there are the, the Middle East, Syria, uh, Iran, Iraq, um, also Saudi Arabia is a closed Muslim country. So there's just a lot of persecution in the Middle East. In um, this last couple of decades, the population of Christians in the Middle East was once 20%. Now it's down uh, across the board to 5%. You know, the book that you wrote, Christians in the Crosshairs, um, is is one of just a handful of books out there that I have found that walk through the different uh, books of the Old Testament, the New Testament, and and ask the question, well, what, what does the Bible have to say about this particular topic? I know that there are several books out there that have been written in past uh, recent years that uh, share a lot of stories uh, about uh, Christian persecution and violence uh, that's taking place, and, and, and those, are, those are wonderful as well. 
But uh, but this one, uh, while you do talk about practical implications and while you do lay out your definitions in the beginning, uh, you, you really take us on what you call a, a biblical portrait of, of persecution. So may, maybe before we even get into the contents of the book, could you tell us um, about the why behind this book? Why, why did, you, did you write Christians in the Crosshairs? Yeah, man, I think you nailed it, actually. Um, you mentioned that there aren't very many out there. Mm-hmm. <laughs> doing this. And so it, it just became really clear to me personally when, um, well, do I have time to tell you a story? Absolutely. And if not, okay. I'll just, I'll just edit it out. <laughs> yeah. Just put it out. Yeah. This, that's boring, dude. Nobody wants to hear that. Um, yeah. So uh, this whole thing came to me when, um, I, I went through a period of being in the desert after I had my MDiv and I thought I was going to be pastoring and, boy, just nothing was working out. Nothing was working out. And so, you know, on my face before the Lord, I just tried to figure out, okay, what really matters? What What is the Lord really concerned with? And two things came up, um, the mission of God and extending the gospel and the kingdom. And sort of along with that, the persecution of God's people. Um. So it became really clear to me that this is a major, major emphasis of the New Testament. If you think about the biblical portraits of the church, so you've got um, basically the the number one metaphor is the family of God. Well, what happens to you when someone in your family is attacked or injured? You know, it, it affects the entire family. You, you don't overlook that. You're not indifferent to that. Same thing with another common metaphor, which is the body of Christ. If one part of your body is causing you pain or is in pain, all of your body suffers and you're not indifferent to that. Um, and then you think about Christ calling the church his, the, his bride, the bride of Christ. Well, who's going to allow their bride to be defiled and, and be indifferent to that? I just started looking at these pictures and then looking at all of the text and and writer after writer after writer in the New Testament views the gospel from the lens of persecution. It's everywhere. So in my preaching in my local church, I was seeing it. Um, in obviously the, the study that I was doing, I was seeing it. But like you said, I wasn't seeing a lot of people talking about it. I, you know, there were no books on it. Um, People aren't asking those questions and wondering what the Bible teaches about persecution. And so, by God's grace, this is just my small contribution to that conversation, hopefully getting more people to look into it, consider it, talk about it, understand it, because I think it has direct implications on our Christian life and our Christian identity. I mean, I I commend you, brother, on on doing this. In, in fact— um, I keep a I keep a little notebook of just ideas, future writing topics, future books that I would like to to work on, and it's funny I actually have in in that notebook um, an outline of a book on persecution, and when I began to do the research, uh, I came across this book called Christians in the Crosshairs, and I looked at your table of contents, and you stole it out of my notebook. So I am so I really I am so thankful that you you beat me to press on this because this is a wonderful book this outstanding book and so for those of you that are listening if you have not uh, obtained a copy of Christians in the Crosshairs I, I want to encourage you to do so um, because I, I, I want you to think about obviously the issue 
from a missiological perspective, yes, but at the same time, I want you to think about this first and foremost from, a, from you know, what does the Bible have to say? Let's establish the biblical foundation before we get before we get caught up into some of the, the stories and the emotions that are attached to that, and let's say, okay, so how now should we live as, as Christian citizens in light of this, this kingdom ethic? So, Greg, let's, let's talk a moment about the content of the book. Uh, clearly, uh, it's dealing with uh, biblical issues, so, so can you give us just a, a brief summary of that? Yeah, so I guess the brief overview, I would say uh, it really starts early, early in the text. It starts in Genesis, and you'll see from the very beginning that uh, once Adam and Eve fell, there became this hostility between those who would find their way to God and follow him and those who would not. And so the story of Cain and Abel is the story of um, Cain slaying Abel and it takes a little bit of unpacking in biblical theology, which I do in the book, but uh, in my mind, it's pretty obvious that it's on account of righteousness, and um, Cain would not allow, he could not bear the, the concept that his brother was accepted as righteous, and he wasn't. And that level of hostility, you see it in the way that Joseph's brothers persecute Joseph and cast him out. Um, you see it all, you know, really all throughout the prophets. They're just, they're constantly um, calling the people of God to be faithful. And there's this tension between prophet sometimes and priest and king. And a lot of times the king is the one that's persecuting the prophets um, and the people who follow God faithfully. And so it, it's, it's not just that there are poor in Israel that need to be protected. It's often the case that the poor in Israel are poor because they've been cast aside and oppressed on account of being faithful to the true God of Israel. Um, and then that, that kind of mindset carries over into the New Testament. So Jesus, um, you know, very beginning of the New Testament, when Jesus first calls his disciples to himself, telling them he's given them, as you said, the kingdom, and along with that comes a, a kingdom ethic, he sets them apart in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, which I think is is a hinge in this whole thing. And I, I make something of a case of that in the book, where I really think what Jesus is doing in the Sermon on the Mount is integral to the Christian life and persecution is an aspect of that. And so he sets them apart and talks to them about being the blessed people, people who uh, who own the kingdom, and people who are identified by persecution. And he unpacks why they need to stay faithful to him. They're going to be persecuted on account of him. People are going to be saying all kinds of things about them, but I say, Jesus says, but I say. So you stick with me. And the rains will come, the storm will come, but you're on the solid rock. And so, you know, the whole Sermon on the Mount makes sense, or started making sense to me personally, when I interpreted it through the lens of persecution. Um, just help me understand how the whole thing holds together. Well, whenever you look, whenever you look through, you know, almost all of the New Testament books deal with persecution in some shape, form, or fashion. Absolutely. Um, and I think maybe the ones that don't are like Philemon and Jude. <laughs> They're short and very to the point. Uh, everything else does, all the way to the end, where the book of Revelation is really uh, a call to people who are suffering persecution to hang tight. Jesus is sovereign Lord. He is going to bring all this to account. 
they're crying before the throne, how long, O Lord, before you avenge the blood of your saints? And he's saying, just a little longer, you know, hang on, hang on. And the book ends with, amen, come Lord Jesus, because he's going to set all of this right. You know, one of the things that that I I so much appreciate about this book is that it does two things. One, it shows that that God is true to his promises. He's carrying out his mission in the world. And, And while there's opposition to his work, sometimes even resulting in the death of the saints, um, that that's sometimes a part of God's purpose and God's plan. I mean, you mentioned there just um, from the book of Revelation where, you know, the saints are, you know, crying out for vengeance, and and basically the statement that God makes is that uh, there's still more to, to perish before you know the judgment is poured out, and I think sometimes, um, Greg, that we we live in a, an environment right now, uh, it, definitely in the West, but sometimes throughout even the majority world countries, whereby it's this notion of, well, if you're suffering or if people uh, are losing their lives, then then God must not be in that. That that's that's not of God. Uh, what 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 are your thoughts on that? Of course, this all ties into some of the prosperity teachings that are out there. Oh my! Well, no, it's totally it's it's I'm, I'm laughing to myself because I'm I'm in my mind I've outlined and I've started writing a few chapters of a book on the blessed life, and <laughs> and and part of that is exactly what you're talking about. We more often than we probably realize. We think that following Christ does mean we wouldn't say it in terms of like you did the the health and wealth gospel, but yeah, shouldn't things go well? And it's true that should, and they most often do. But also, um, according to the New Testament, when we receive this is John three, you know thirty three, when we receive His testimony, we ourselves testify to this that God is true. So, in other words, um, you opened kind of the conversation with 2 Timothy 3.12, anyone who desires to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. And pointed out, you know, will be persecuted. That's a pretty clear declaration. But it's just the desire. And in John's gospel, it's just the receiving of the witness of Christ. There's something about us as God's people that just by nature of being God's people we are indicting the way of the world. And, and you know, so we're, we're testifying that God is true, that there is a Savior, that there is a sovereign Lord, that we all do or will be held accountable by him, and that we all have the opportunity now to follow him, but by nature we're not willing to do that. And so all those things are just kind of known in the world even before we say anything, when we preach, when we teach, when we testify verbally, we're really in, in, in like a Romans 1 kind of way, only saying what's true and what people know but aren't willing to accept. Mm. Let's think about the, the United States for a second. Um, we clearly, uh, right now, uh, do not have the, the level of persecution like what we hear about in North Korea or Nigeria or Saudi Arabia or many of those countries that make that um, that uh, top 
list uh, that we see that comes out every year with Open Doors. Um, we're moving into the holiday season, of course. Uh, you know, there'll be an article that will come out somewhere where someone will be offended because they're not allowed to say Merry Christmas. Yeah. Um, <laughs> or, so, or us will use the wrong cups. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, the, wrong, the wrong coffee cups. Um, so, so here's my here's my question about the U.S. So, so why should listeners in the U.S., pastors that are out there listening to this? Uh, other uh, church and mission agency leaders here in this country, what, why should they be concerned uh, about um, about the contents of a book like yours when it comes to persecution? Because, I mean, after all, I mean, it's, it, you know, I'm not feeling it, so why should I, you know, spend my time studying more about this issue? Yeah, great, great question. Um, I think I want to answer three ways, and I'll try to do it succinctly. Um Number one, we might be facing more persecution than we realize. Uh, We haven't used that category. And so I fear that we sometimes misinterpret our own experiences because we're not using that category. Um, Persecution, according to Jesus in Matthew 5, is really on a spectrum. Um, It's degree. I like the way you said it. You said levels, I think, but it's it's you know just different degrees of persecution. So being slandered, being you know mocked and ridiculed, having lies told about you, that's persecution. Sure, it's not to the degree that you would find in North Korea or Eritrea or you know Syria or somewhere in the Middle East, but it is still by Jesus categorized as persecution. So you know that's the first thing, and and along with that, I would say. There's a lot more going on than we know because it's not covered in media. There were in 2015, I think, 112 church shootings in America. Now, who knew that, right? <laughs> 60, 60 something fatalities. Um, but we didn't hear about those. There, there has been since the 80s uh, a regular sort of diet of church buildings being burned across the U.S. But again, it, it doesn't make the news. I, I served in a church that was one of those, actually. Um, so anyway, um, so there's that. There's probably more than we know, but we're not using those categories. But um, number two, the reason that we should should identify this way is because the New Testament identifies Christians as this kind of people, the people of God. And there is a sense of holiness, a sense of being set apart for God. And Jesus taught that the world hated him, and if the world hated him, they would hate his followers also. Uh, there's something central to our identity that's tied up in being being one with Christ and with his body around the world that is facing hostility from others. Um, not to be a victim or, or to live in a victim status, far from it. You know, it's it's a victorious, triumphant Christianity that uh, that you see in Luke and Acts and in uh, Revelation, but that is an aspect of our identity. Number three, for reasons that I mentioned earlier, when you look at the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, the family of God, when you look at these identifying factors to the church, it really compels us to be more aware of our persecuted brothers and sisters and to identify with them and make them more of a priority, perhaps, than we have. 
My guest today on Strike the Match is uh, Dr. Greg Cochran, professor of theology at California Baptist University. And uh, in addition to talking about just global matters related to Christians living in persecution, we've been talking about uh, his book, uh, Christians in the Crosshairs, Persecution in the Bible and Around the World Today. Uh, I highly encourage you to to get a copy of this. It would be an excellent study, not only for you personally, but to even take members of your church or small group uh, through as well. Uh, Greg, if people want to uh, connect with you uh, online or uh, in any other means, how could they do that? Well, I'm everywhere. You know, I'm, uh, I've got a Twitter <laughs> account, Doc Cochran. Um, I've got Facebook, Facebook page, Instagram, um, a blog at GregoryCCochran.com. And my email is available at the Cal Baptist website, gcochran at calbaptist.edu. They'll be disappointed if they're looking for a Twitter storm because I just don't do that. But. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe they, they will flood the uh, your, your inbox at, at gcochran at calbaptist.edu, and, and that'll drive you to, uh, to uh, social media. Maybe more. so. <laughs> Brother, thank you so much for being on the program today. It, it's been a delight to talk with you, and uh, keep up the great work in what thank you're you, doing. Thank you, too, man. Keep, keep God's mission out front. You have been listening to Strike the Match with J.D. You can find JD on Instagram, Facebook, or follow him on Twitter at JD underscore Payne. And if you'd like to check out more books, posts, and podcast episodes, visit jdpain.org. You can also subscribe to this podcast on your favorite Android app or at iTunes. And we'd be honored if you would consider rating us or leaving comments. Thanks again for tuning in. We hope you'll join us next time.